all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Good morning, Southern Remedy listeners. Welcome to Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Assistant Professor of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we finish up National Nutrition Month by addressing all things diabetes. If you have questions about blood sugar, prediabetes, or anything else, we want to talk with you. Today's guest is Kathy Warwick, registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. And tomorrow is Diabetes Alert Day, and we want to talk with you about what that means and how you can get involved. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Senate's confirmation hearing for Supreme Court nominee Neil Gorsuch resumes this hour with continued resistance from Democrats and independents. They say they're troubled by Gorsuch's track record of ruling in favor of corporations over workers. Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell may be poised to change Senate rules so that Gorsuch is confirmed with a simple majority. Congressional Republicans are regrouping after they were forced to pull their health care bill because they couldn't get enough votes from members of their own party. The holdouts included conservatives with the House Freedom Caucus who argued the bill drafted by House Speaker Paul Ryan was not strong enough. It was a stunning outcome for Republicans who campaigned for years on the promise of dismantling Obamacare and an infuriating one for Congressman Ted Poe of Texas, so much so he's withdrawn from the Freedom Caucus. I'm upset about the fact that we had the chance to lead to fulfill the number one promise that Republicans had to repeal Obamacare. And then at the end of the day, people said they're going to vote to keep Obamacare. The congressman speaking to CNN. President Trump criticized fellow Republicans who opposed the bill, complaining on Twitter, quote, Democrats are smiling. Trump is set to announce plans to undo the Obama administration's biggest climate policy. NPR's Nathan Rott reports that Trump is expected to target the Clean Power Plan with an executive order tomorrow. The Clean Power Plan is the U.S.'s biggest commitment to the International Paris Climate Agreement. It's the Obama administration's signature effort to combat climate change by cutting emissions from coal-fired power plants. And it's about to be reversed or put on reverse notice. Scott Pruitt, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, says that Trump will sign an executive order to undo the Clean Power Plan Tuesday. The executive order may also undo other Obama-era environmental regulations. Getting rid of the Clean Power Plan, though, will be no easy task. The rulemaking process is a long one, and environmental groups have promised to fight the administration's efforts from the public comment periods to the courts. Nathan Rapp, NPR News. The remains of at least 180 people have been recovered in the Iraqi city of Mosul in an area where the U.S.-led coalition says it carried out an airstrike. Here's NPR's Allison Muse. The head of Iraq's civil defense says his teams are still digging bodies from under the rubble, days after gaining access to a devastated neighborhood in western Mosul. The victims include men, women and children. 
The U.S.-led coalition says it's investigating whether one of its strikes, which did hit that area, was the cause of the massive casualties. Iraq's military says its forces called in a strike in a nearby neighborhood, but blames ISIS for firing from buildings with families inside and parking large car bombs in residential areas. Provincial Council member Khalif al-Habibi says Iraq and coalition partners should stop using warplanes in the city. Alison Muse, NPR News, Beirut. This is NPR. Scotland is moving forward with the process of seeking a referendum on Scottish independence, angered by the UK's decision to exit the European Union. Tomorrow, Parliament plans to vote on a motion that formally authorizes Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, to seek a new referendum. British Prime Minister Theresa May plans to meet with Sturgeon today for the first time since they sparred over Brexit and Scotland's renewed quest for independence. May says now is not the time for a new independence vote. Prosecutors in South Korea are seeking the arrest of the country's ousted president, Park Geun-hye. In Seoul, NPR's Elise Hugh says the move stems from the corruption scandal that led to Park's impeachment. South Korean prosecutors say former President Park Geun-hye was involved in bribery, abuse of power and leaking of state secrets. They're now seeking a judge's approval to arrest her on these charges and others later this week. Park was impeached by lawmakers for her alleged involvement in the corruption scandal, which has also ensnared the country's top companies like Samsung. Samsung's acting leader is currently in jail in connection with the same investigation. Prosecutors believe the former president pressured Samsung and others to pony up some 70 million U.S. dollars for a private slush fund. Pak has maintained her innocence, but a constitutional court found enough evidence of her involvement to remove her from office. Elise Hugh, NPR News, Seoul. Cherry blossoms often attract large numbers of tourists to the nation's capital, but many will find they've already reached peak bloom because of the cold. National Park Service says the famous trees hit their peak on Saturday. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from the financial services firm of Raymond James, offering personalized wealth management advice and banking and capital markets expertise, along with a legacy of putting clients' financial well-being first. Learn more at RaymondJames.com. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. of nursing and nurse practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today is the last Monday in March, and so that means we are finishing up National Nutrition Month. And we wanted to finish that up with a show dedicated to diabetes because tomorrow is Diabetes Alert Day. So I am so privileged to have Kathy Warwick in the um, studio with me today. She is a registered dietitian and a certified diabetes educator. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's always fun when you're here. You've been on with me before, and we always have a good time. And we want 
want to share that good time with our listeners today. So if you have a question about diabetes, how nutrition can help with that, general medicine questions related to diabetes, pre-diabetes, any of that, we would love to talk with you today. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Now, Kathy, tell me a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis. Well, as a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator, I teach the outpatient diabetes education classes at St. Dominic's Hospital. We do those several times a month. And I've actually been working some on the inpatient side as well and seeing patients in the hospital who are newly diagnosed. Um, My other hat is that I do some nursing home consulting. And then I also write for um, different publications on diabetes. And I'm the editor of our national newsletter for the Diabetes Care Education Practice Group. Well, as you can tell, listeners, she is the diabetes expert. So any questions that you have, she's going to be able to handle those today. And I'm just going to be along for the ride and and (laughs) help her out anything that she needs. Now, uh, tell me about Diabetes Alert Day. What is Diabetes Alert Day? This is a, a day every year that the American Diabetes Association designates to sort of get everybody's attention that if you are at risk for type 2 diabetes and there are millions, in fact, uh, 86 million folks out there who have pre-diabetes who are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And they have developed a very simple 60-second are-you-at-risk test that you can take either online or you can print a hard copy of it. And what they're doing is just trying to bring attention to the fact that diabetes does not necessarily make you feel bad. And so folks will go for many years not realizing that they have diabetes or that they are in in a pre-diabetic state. And this is sort of to um, call the attention to the fact that this symptoms may not be there, but you may very well have diabetes. Right. A lot of the chronic conditions that we kind of feature on this show, high blood pressure and diabetes, are relatively silent. They don't have a lot of um, symptoms to start out with. You know, right. you don't say, oh, my foot hurts or, oh, my arm hurts like you would with, you know, arthritis or something like that. Or I'm not sick at my stomach or my head doesn't hurt or there's nothing really. And, and I tell people all the time, you know, if you're if you're getting to be 50, um, you might need reading glasses. Well, so you kind of pass off any little bit of blurry vision that you might have on while well, my eyes are getting older. Right. Um, You may already be on a blood pressure medication that has a diuretic in it. And so you don't think much about getting up during the night to have to go to the restroom. But, um, you know, you may feel tired and you think, well, I'm taking care of my elderly parents and I'm helping with my grandkids. So I have a right to be tired. And so those are all symptoms of diabetes, but they're none that are, you know, that you couldn't kind of pawn off on some other cause. Right. It's not a kind of a red flag, but mm-hmm. you mentioned some of them. So blurry vision can be one, which is why it's important to get our yearly eye exam. Exactly. Um, another is frequent urination. So having to, to, to pee more frequently. Um, and you mentioned um, that that can just be some of our medications can mm-hmm. cause us to do that. And so, exactly. you know, just pay attention. If it if you've been on that medicine for a while and you notice that you're starting to have to go more, 
that may be something we need to check out. And if you're really, really thirsty and you find that you just can't quench your thirst. Um, I know we live where it's hot and humid in the summertime, but um, that's unusual for you to feel like you just drink and drink and drink and you can never get satisfied. Mm-hmm. Another thing is if you have any sort of a cut or an injury or an infection that won't heal. Um, I had a lady in the hospital last week that found out she had diabetes because she had a sinus infection that she treated with antibiotics like she was supposed to. And it got worse and it went into bronchitis and then it went into pneumonia. And all of this is while she's on antibiotic. So what happens is that your body can't fight an infection if your blood sugar's high. She didn't know her blood sugar was high, and that's when she found out, when she ended up in the hospital just really, really sick. Yeah, that's great uh, advice out there. If you find yourself having repeated infections, even if they clear and you have another infection in, you know, in a week or two, that's a kind of a red flag for us that mm-hmm. wonder what our sugar is. Because just like you said, you can't, you can't fight an infection as well. You know, the, one of the ways we fight infections is our white blood cells go to the area and they stick there and they attack it. When our blood sugar is too high, a couple of things. Sometimes our blood vessels are smaller than they need to be, and so it's hard to get the blood, the white blood cells there. And then once they get there, they don't stick into the area well, and so they just can't do their job. And so we have a, lot, a hard time clearing up infections. So it can be, just like you said, sinus infection, um, Repeated bouts of bronchitis can be skin infections. In mm-hmm. particular, if you've got um, like abscesses or boils or risins or things like that. Or even a yeast infection. Yeast and infections, That can absolutely. be men or women. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you notice you treat yeast infections and they just won't go away. Or you have cystitis or a bladder infection and it just won't clear up. And that's all really... It sounds like it doesn't have a thing to do with diabetes, but all of that does. Another new sort of recommendation out there is that dentists might should screen folks for diabetes because even the saliva has more sugar in it, which means the bacteria in your mouth can overgrow, which means you can end up with periodontal disease or gum disease or issues with your teeth. And if you find yourself in the dentist's office repeatedly, perhaps that's actually another sign. It can be, absolutely. We did, um, we had a a dental missions week at UMC a couple of weeks ago where we did um, kind of free dental care for about, about a thousand people. Wow. And, you know, we checked their blood sugar before they went in and uh, and their blood pressure because a couple of things could be going on. We want to make sure that their blood sugar is okay for them to go back and have that procedure. But another thing is if you have a big dental abscess in there and you know you have diabetes, you may not be able, your, your, your blood sugar may not be as controlled as you want it to be just because of the infection. Your body's just working so hard and stressed out so much. It makes a bad, vicious cycle. The, 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 the infection causes the blood sugar to go up. And then the high blood sugar causes your body not to be able to heal mm-hmm. the infection and fight it. So it, it can spiral really quickly into a blood sugar of 500, mm-hmm. um, which is not unusual. Um, so, But people don't even recognize that they have diabetes. And so these things can happen, seems like, overnight. Right. And so I want to piggyback one thing on the dentist. If you know that you have diabetes and and you're going to your regular dentist appointments, which you should be every six months, let them know that you have diabetes. Tell them that you have diabetes so that they can 
they may be a little bit more aggressive if they see something um, in there that needs to be taken care of if they know that you have a blood sugar problem. So make sure they know. And, and they may give you an antibiotic to take for a week or so before they do any sort of a procedure. And that's a good thing to sort of have a handle on before you go. Right. And taking good care of our teeth, just like you said a minute ago, it seems not related to diabetes, but it so is because when we have diabetes, it can increase our risk of having a heart attack or stroke. And then we also know that that periodontal disease, like you were talking about, and poor gum um, health can also cause... Are related to heart disease right, as well. related to heart disease. So we want to, you know, keep everything working as well as it can be uh, when we have uh, diabetes. The biggie is this, that so many people are walking around that don't know they have diabetes. Thank you. So some of the other risk factors that we should probably point out for your listeners are, you know, age, unfortunately, but... Folks over the age of 40 or 50 are more likely. Um, If you have a family history, if you um, had a a gestational diabetes diagnosis when you were pregnant, you know, if you had blood sugar that was abnormal when you were pregnant, um, and and have you got high blood pressure? They seem to, you know, play together. If you have, usually I see patients that their first diagnosis was hypertension. Then they had a cholesterol diagnosis, and then somebody came back and said, hey, your blood sugar's a little out of whack. Mm-hmm. So they kind of run together in a group. Um, and, and are you physically active, and what is your your body weight? You know, how, how much activity did you get, and, and how much, you know, how many, you could lose a few pounds. Right. All of those things add up to increasing your risk for type 2 diabetes. Well, that we've thrown out lots of good information. We've talked about that we need to lose a little bit of weight. We've talked about that we need to get up and get active, and we need to know our risk factors. So when we come back from the break, we're going to pick up back with those and talk about those some more. And we would love to talk with you guys about any questions that you might have about risk factors for the development of diabetes or how to get more active and eat better. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi ranks 50th in child well-being. So what makes a child healthy and well? So it's not merely the absence of disease, but social, physical, spiritual, emotional well-being. There's so much more to the health of a child that I think we need to drastically change our view of what health care is. Parents share their stories as Southern Remedy explores what prevents Mississippi's children from growing up well. Thursday, March 30th on MPB TV. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
Hi, I'm Jason Klein, director of radio here at MPB. We asked and you delivered. One day, one drive reached our goal because of you. MPB Think Radio is your station, and you proved it by donating $125,000 in one day. You made public radio history in Mississippi. All that's left to say is thank you. is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org. Dr. Josie Bidwell, and I'm here with my guest, Kathy Warwick, registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. And we are taking your um, calls today about diabetes and really anything related to blood sugar or how to get more active or how to lose a little bit of weight. We would love to talk with you guys about that today. And uh, tomorrow is Diabetes Alert Day. And so it's kind of shining a light on diabetes and getting people to recognize their risk factors and, and take charge of those risk factors. So if you have questions for us or any comments you want to tell us about your journey with diabetes or how you've gotten healthier, you can give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. So let's go back to this tool that Mm -hmm. um, is available, free tool online. Um, that it's available all the time, right. but it's kind of being uh, pushed a little bit more right now because it's Diabetes Alert Day tomorrow, and it it's very very quick. I took it this morning. It's a, a like a seven, I think it's seven questions, seven questions, uh, and it it's uh, gives you your risk for uh, developing diabetes, and it'll even tell then it'll tell you what your what the most important risk factors are that you flag out for on there. So how can people get to that? That's a good question. Just go on the internet and. And go to American Diabetes Association's website, and it pops up right there in front of you, and it says, you know, Diabetes Alert Day is March the 28th. Take the test now. And when you click on the Take the Test Now, it gives you one question at a time, and you just click your answer. When you get through, it gives you a, a point total, and then it tells you about your risk. And it takes 60 seconds, mm-hmm. literally. It so um, it could it could really be something that might save your life. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before, but most people with type 2 diabetes, by the time we diagnose them, have had it for as much as five or six years, as long as five or six years. And by that time, it's had a an opportunity to do some damage to all the blood vessels in the body. So diabetes, you know, I ask my class participants sometimes, what does your blood in your body touch? Well, everybody kind of looks at me like, (laughs) where have you been? You know, it touches everything. And you're thinking, yes, I'm hoping it touches Mm -hmm. everything. But in that same respect, if your blood sugar is high, it is causing irritation or aggravation of the blood vessels throughout the body. So that's why it can affect kidneys. That's why it can affect eyes. But the biggest risk factor there is also heart disease. We know that most people with type 2 have a much greater risk, two to four times greater risk for heart heart attack or stroke. So a lot of times, again, we see people in the hospital that they come in for a heart attack 
and somebody walks in the room and says, how long have you had diabetes? And that person says, I don't have diabetes. Right. Um, and, and they didn't know it, but yet it was, it was silently doing damage to blood vessels. Mm-hmm. So you do want to know. Um, it's not that if you ignore it, it'll go away. Right. I promise. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I do a ton of health fairs. You know, I'm trying, mm-hmm. we're trying to reach people who uh, might not have access to a healthcare provider, may not have wellness benefits. And we want to check their blood sugar and their blood pressure. And oftentimes that's what I hear is they say, I don't want to get my sugar checked because I'm afraid it's going to be high. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And, you know, in my heart, I've, I feel for you with that because I understand that. Right. But just not knowing doesn't mean it's not happening. And if we know, we can do something about that. You and know? there's a, a test out there if you're familiar with the, um, or, or maybe not familiar with the term, it's a hemoglobin A1C. It's, an, it's a relatively new test um, that tells you your blood sugar average for the last three months or so. And it's very helpful because when we go to the doctor for a regular old checkup, what do they tell you to do? They tell you to come in fasting. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know I've got a doctor's appointment in a couple of weeks. I'm certainly going to behave myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat right and exercise and try to do what I'm supposed to do all year round. And so my fasting blood sugar might actually look pretty good mm-hmm. when I go to the doctor. Unfortunately, then he looks at you and says, hey, you're doing great. I'll see you in a year. Right. But what what we know is if we can do that hemoglobin A1C test, it tells us how your blood sugar is averaged for the three months mm-hmm. prior to that doctor's visit. And it might give us a clue that you're in the pre-diabetes state. Right. And you have an opportunity at that point then to prevent or delay diabetes significantly. Right. And that's what you really want to do is catch it early. Right. You know, it's cliche, but I always say knowledge is power. And when we know our numbers, we can work on, on can. fixing them. And it's not that you have to give up everything you love to eat either. We right. need to talk about that. We will. <laughs> well, we've got a couple of callers. So we're going to go to Larry in Georgia. Good morning, Larry. Larry? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Good morning. Good morning, dear. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Am I on the air? You are. Fantastic. Excuse me. Uh, I'm calling because I've been traveling a lot lately. I expect to travel. uh, And I've been suffering severely from jet lag. So I wonder, do you guys have any remedies for that? And does the effect of jet lag increase as you get older? Well, you know, it's going to depend on kind of how many time zones you're switching um, back and forth as to to what to do to that. There's not really a whole lot I can do for the, you know, the actual symptoms symptoms of it. But the the more, um, the better your hydration is and the better your nutrition is, that's going to help you feel better overall better you know that's one of the things that makes us kind of grumpy when we have jet lag is we don't know when we're supposed to eat (laughs) and when we're supposed to drink because we're kind of all flip-flops it's the same deal for shift workers if you're you know if you move from night shift to day shift everything gets out of whack because you're not sure when you're supposed to do kind of basic everyday things so and sleep plays into that of course so you know if you can kind of try and have a snack every you know three to four hours at least that'll keep your blood sugar 
even because dips in blood sugar are one of the things that make us feel so tired and yucky and icky. Um, so kind of consistently having some snacks along the way will help with that. And then making sure that you drink enough water because the act of flying can mm-hmm. be dehydrating. Exactly. Um, so, you know, really usually for water, for fluid intake, it's about half of your body weight in ounces is the amount of water mm-hmm. you should be having, which for some folks is quite a lot of water. Um, you know, and there's water in some foods. You know, you don't have to drink that in just plain cups. But think about foods that have more um, moisture li- moisture to them, yeah. like, um, you know, watermelon and apples and oranges, oranges mm-hmm. that are going to get you some fluid. So they'd kind of kill two birds with one stone right there. If you were to do, an, you know, an orange and some walnuts or almonds together, it'd be a great snack and it would be some hydration for you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going to go to Elizabeth in my favorite city, Oxford, Mississippi. Good morning, <laughs> Elizabeth. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. How can we help you this morning? Um, I'm actually calling because my fiance has um, went to the doctor previously and been diagnosed with hypoglycemia. Okay. Um, but he's had continued issues and um He's changed his diet, which is which did help in the beginning, but um, we're a little afraid that um, is it possible? Well, one of my questions is: is it possible for hypoglycemia to turn into diabetes? And um, if he wanted to get testing, I did hear y'all talking about the hemoglobin A1C. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't. We do not have health insurance, um, so I would just kind of ask your uh, preference for. Um, somewhere around Oxford that we could go or that he could go and have testing and kind of what's the best way to go about it. Should he track his blood sugar beforehand? Um, So, yeah, so uh, I think we can help you out with uh, the majority of those things. So, yeah. One, we would need to know exactly why you're having hypoglycemia, you know, um, and it can be a symptom of diabetes if we don't eat, um, if we skip meals, that kind of thing. Because what's happening is normally um, we have kind of a regulatory system in our body that keeps our blood sugar at a relatively even um Level, But if we start to have some problems with those hormones that come out of the pancreas or things that are happening in the liver, then that whole thing kind of gets messed up. And if we don't eat uh, regularly or we don't eat an appropriate amount, then we can have some low spells. And usually what we do when we have low spells is we uh, eat a snack. And if you've got diabetes, if you eat too much carbohydrate in that snack, it can make your sugar swing way the other way. And you wind up kind of going up and down, up and down, up and down, which makes you feel like stink. Um, there are some other causes of hypoglycemia that are a little bit um, more rare. You know, there are some uh, tumors out there that will secrete insulin, um, which is, is incredibly not common. Um, so that's kind of one piece of it. So, yes, you can develop diabetes with hypoglycemia as well. Um, for the A1C, 
Um, off the top of my head, I don't know where to send you in Oxford. Oh, so Kathy's telling me the health department, they'll do an A1C there. I think that you could go to your local health department and just tell them that you're having some of these symptoms. And just it's not a real expensive test, which mm-hmm. is the good news. Um, so, you know, let them know you don't have insurance. But I believe your health department could do that for you. And then okay. there should be a chapter of um, the Mississippi Diabetes Association mm-hmm. in that area as well. And I know a lot of times they do free health events and they will screen for hemoglobin A1C. So you can give um, your diabetes association, which you can find online, a call and they should be able to point you to kind of their closest screening site that they're doing those things. But I'll, for. Let, me, let me explain why the A1C might not be as helpful in this situation. If he has low blood sugars and then sometimes maybe they bounce up after a snack or a meal, the A1C is technically a mathematical average. So I might average just a beautiful A1C. But right. you can recognize the symptoms of some shakiness and some sweaty and low blood sugar symptoms. And then also maybe a headachey, weird nausea feeling when his blood sugar goes high. And so what my suggestion might be is that you think in terms of maybe going to um, even Walmart has a very inexpensive glucose monitor, um, the Rely On brand, and the strips are only about 9 to $18 for 50 and that's what I recommend for folks without insurance. And what I would do is check blood sugar just before he eats and then check it about an hour and a half to two hours after that meal. And what you want to see is does it really bounce up? And at two hours after that meal, is it still 180 or 200 or 250? And then in the morning, you know, what is it doing when you first wake up? If you can check it before and after several meals and before and after, say, exercise and before and after, you know, you like at bedtime and then next time you check it first thing in the morning, you've got those two numbers to compare and it can give you a lot of good information about what's going on throughout the day with your blood sugar. And that might be the best thing for you to have in hand when you do go to a practitioner so that you can show them what the blood sugar is doing with different foods at different times. So I recommend you keep a diary of what you've eaten as well, because that gives you a lot of information as a as a practitioner. When I look at your diary and I see what you ate and what your blood sugar did after that meal and then maybe a different meal and what your blood sugar did, I can make a lot better educated guess about what might be going on with you okay so a diary of food blood sugar um when he wakes up and before the meal and then two hours later yes so if i take the first bite of food at noon i'd like to check my blood sugar ideally somewhere around two o'clock you know as close to that as you can doesn't have to be perfect but if the blood sugar two hours after that meal is much above 140 or 150 it gives me some concern that he's not producing enough insulin with that meal because that, that blood sugar really should be back down to about normal if you don't have diabetes, um, which is in that eight, 80 to 110 or 20 range. So normal is about 80 to 110, 120. And after a meal, we look for blood sugars not to be higher than, say, 150 to 180 is what we'd really like. So if you, if you see anything that's really out of that range, 
you want to you want to see somebody and and let them look at your diary. And uh, Elizabeth, you can always go to the Mississippi Primary Healthcare Association website, and mm-hmm. that has a list of all the federally qualified health clinics in the state, and they are all across the state. And those folks work well with individuals who are without health insurance. They can do kind of some uh, sliding scale fee schedules for that. But it it really is important that we get you in front of a healthcare provider to to look at the big picture um, once right. you get some of this data collected for them. Okay, is there any particular test that he would need to ask for or just bring in the diary and the log of his blood sugar and then they would know to go from there? Yes, they should know to go from there. Just tell them your concerns. You know, I would write down... I'd usually tell people to go in with kind of three history, a history, you know, your family history and the history of what's going on, what tests you've had done, and then kind of make sure you're able to answer. You want to be able to say, this is what I'm here for. This is the one thing that I'm here for, my primary concern. And when they finish with the visit, say, now, what are we doing about that primary concern that I have? And that way you you don't wind up leaving from a visit with without an answer to what you're looking for, or at least a game plan to try and get to that answer. Okay, and you said that was the Mississippi Primary Healthcare Providers dot com. Uh, it's the Mississippi Primary Healthcare Association. Association. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank y'all so much for your help. You're, You're so welcome. welcome. If you need anything else, you just send me an email at fit at mpbonline dot org, and I'll be happy to help you. Okay. All right, we're going to go to a quick break, and when we come back, we will continue with uh, Kathy Warwick and our discussion about diabetes, and we would love to hear from you guys. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, tomorrow morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Can getting a degree while you're in prison help you when you get out of prison? You know, I wake up in the morning and I don't say to myself, you know, I'm in prison. I try to think of it like I'm in college. And you can't entirely separate the two out, but it's healthier to think about it that way. It gives you meaning and it gives you purpose. How education helps curb recidivism. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 
Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator and we are so enjoying our monday and getting to talk with you guys about blood sugar and diabetes and how we can fix that or how we can prevent it to start with and that brings me to uh, the next topic that i want to make sure that we talk about is pre-diabetes because it's something that i think gets kind of glossed over people just say oh i'm borderline exactly Um, and it it's kind of an all or nothing kind of thing. Like if you're borderline diabetic, it means your blood sugar is too high. And we it's still doing damage even though it's not con- technically high enough to be considered diabetes. So tell me a little bit about what prediabetes is and why we don't want that. <laughs> That's a good question. And in fact, going back to what we were just talking about, perhaps your blood sugar in the morning is fine, but after you eat, it's spiking up quite high. And so if we did your three-month average, your hemoglobin A1C, we're going to see it creeping up into the lower 6% range, you know, somewhere in there. And that means that your body's not handling the food that you're eating as effectively as it was before. So being, I tell people, it's not, not really probably appropriate, but being a little bit Pregnant is something we don't say. You know, we either say you are or you aren't pregnant, right? And doctors will tend to not want to give you the bad news that your blood sugar's high. And so they'll say, your blood sugar's a little borderline. Well, that doesn't make me take action. And so I, I wish that as providers, we would start calling a spade a spade and saying, your blood sugar's higher than it should be. If it goes up a little bit higher, I'm going to be able to call you full-blown diabetic. So when folks show up in my diabetes class and they say, I have pre-diabetes, I say, aren't you fortunate that we caught this early? You know, I know you don't want that diagnosis, but this is an opportunity for you to make some changes. And literally a weight loss of about 7 to 10%. So say I weigh 200 pounds. If I lose 14 to 20 pounds, which is not a difficult thing to do, I'm not talking about overnight. I'm talking about over the next couple of months. You a lot of times see those folks' blood sugars come just right back to normal. So just a tiny bit of weight loss, more activity, just like you and I were speaking about, just don't sit. The new guidelines that came out in 2017 say, We should not sit for longer than 30 minutes at a time. They're calling sitting the new smoking. Right. And they also know that we can't undo our sitting by getting up and going to the gym for an hour after we've sat all day at work. The the enzymes that are released by the muscles as we sit and the ones that cause inflammation they don't, that doesn't fix it to go to the gym after I've been sitting all day. So, The new recommendations are to get up and move 
every 30 minutes. Right. Um, not a whole lot, but you need to walk up and down the hallway at your work or go up and down the stairs, um, go take a bathroom break, go out to the parking lot and come back, something. The other thing that's very, very important and interesting that I've uh, read a lot about recently is getting enough sleep. Um, we've gotten to be a culture that has television and telephones and, you know, all kinds of of electronics that we can stay awake and stare at during the evening hours and we don't go to bed early enough and we don't get enough sleep um, so they recommend that we pay a lot of attention to getting at least seven hours of sleep seven mm-hmm. to eight is a good goal we know that folks who get less sleep are at higher risk for diabetes and heart disease so your body needs that opportunity to heal and to um, get things in order and, and and reduce the stress in your life. Interestingly, the blue light that is emitted from our screens tells our brains not to release the melatonin that's naturally supposed to be there. And so we do have difficulty going to sleep. So the NationalSleepFoundation.org has some fabulous resources um, on sleep. So there are a lot of lifestyle things. If you um, work on moving your body, losing a little bit of weight, and as a dietitian, I know everybody hates dietitians because they not think me. of us. I love dietitians. <laughs> they think of us as the food police, but that's not the that's not the way we go about things. We like to take what you already like to eat and what you already like to include in your diet and help you tweak that a bit. So it's not that you have good foods and bad foods. It's not that you have to give up everything you love. Um, Start with just smaller portions Mm -hmm. of the things you love. You can take um, your second helpings out of the out of the factors there, and it will make a big difference. You Mm -hmm. can lose weight just by eating that one plate of food. Mm -hmm. Um, Grab a smaller plate out of the cabinet when you fix your meal. Um, think in terms of every bite of food that you take in has some, what nutritional value does it have? So in other words, eat a more nutrient rich diet, as opposed to saying, I can't have this and I can't have that. Think of the things you can have. And I love that you you brought that up because if you're a regular listener to this show, you know my number one tip for making a healthy lifestyle change is using a smaller plate. Just switching from that 10-inch plate to that 7-inch plate, which is the middle plate in the dish set, um, is built-in portion control. And it when, works. And when we cut our portions, we cut our calories. So that's a great tip. And we, you know, if there are listeners out there who want to pick Kathy's brain about how to tweak that diet, she is here and waiting on you for that. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And so you mentioned kind of, um, we mentioned getting a smaller plate. And then what I love to hear you say, which is what I say as well, is there there are no bad foods and good foods. No. You know, that's why I get so frustrated with fad diets. Me too. Um, and because they're really just setting you up for failure. I mean, they really are. The vast majority of people are not going to be able to stay on those really restrictive diets for the long term. No. Do they work? Absolutely. You will lose weight because you're eliminating a whole food group or a whole nutrient group at one time. Right. And you're going to lose weight. But as soon as you stop that, you know, as soon as you, let's say you're doing a um, low carb and, you know, as soon as you add carb back in, you know, or you, you know, get frustrated and which that would be me. If I was on a, on a low carb, no carb diet, I would 
freak out after a couple of weeks and go hide in the bathroom with some bread because or I or Oreos. Oh, Oreos. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, that, you know, and and then you feel guilty, right? And then and and a lot know. of people think in terms of I'm I'm quote on a diet, and and this is what I hear so often. Well, I blew it mm-hmm. on Wednesday. I went to church and they had dessert and it was my favorite and I ate some, and so then they just the rest of the week they figure as a lost cause, mm-hmm. and so they they completely just say, well, I'll start over next Monday, right? right? It's an eating event. It's, you didn't blow it. You you just had a piece of dessert. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow you're going to get right back on that horse and just watch your portions. Choose your food that is nutritious first to eat off the plate. You know, and I, I've done this before many times. It's a great science experiment. Um, serve the vegetables on the menu to your plate first, mm-hmm. and then the protein source perhaps and then the last thing you know maybe your starches or breads and you've got so little room left by the time you get to those those carbohydrate foods that you'll tend to do better um even in a buffet line if you'll go to the vegetables first that's a better choice for your body and you didn't blow it. You just have to kind of tomorrow and Thursday and Friday, you know, just kind of get back into it's, the groove. Right. But it, it's a lifestyle. It it's is. not a diet. I always say I think diets are just, it's a four-letter word. Mm-hmm. I hate it because people deprive themselves. And we're not creatures that like to be told that we can't have oh, something. No, as soon as somebody tells me I can't have something, that's all I can, I can think, think about, about is I got to get me some of that. <laughs> and you won't eat a little bit of it. Oh, no. You're going to eat the whole box of ice cream mm-hmm. or you're going to eat the whole bag of chips. And so it's better to think of this as I'm going to try to choose healthier food options. And I always say the better the color on your plate. Um, so if you've got something bright red, bright yellow, bright green, bright orange, um, the more of the rainbow you can mm-hmm. eat, um, you're getting more nutrition. You're getting the foods that are higher in fiber and, and usually lower in calories. So I, I know everybody gets the advice of avoid all the white food. That kind of drives me a little mm-hmm. bit crazy, too. Um, that may or may not be true. Think about poor cauliflower. That's what know? I was going to say. <laughs> cauliflower gets a bad rap, and cauliflower is delicious. Cauliflower is virtually no calories. I know. So um, fill up on your veggies first. If you're going to go back for seconds ever, go back for more veggies. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that we can't have cornbread with our turnip greens. It's that we can have a small cornbread muffin. Um, Just don't eat the whole skillet. And maybe don't mash potatoes with it, too. Exactly. Pick something that's non-starchy to go along with that. Sure. Green beans, asparagus, all kinds of yummy good stuff. You've got lots of uh, uh, farmer's markets going to open up here real soon if it hasn't already. And we'll have squash and tomatoes and zucchini and okra and all of that good stuff. And we're so blessed in Mississippi to have those options Mm -hmm. that are fresh and inexpensive. That's a great you know, take advantage of those fruits and veggies that are in season mm-hmm. because when they're in season, they're less expensive. They are. Um, people always say it's so expensive to, to eat, eat healthy. healthy. And that drives me just a little bit crazy because I'm thinking in terms of that bag of chips being $3, $4, right. and I can buy a bag of apples for the same price. Mm-hmm. So it's choices. But it um, make those gradual changes. They can be small ones, but it really might prevent you from developing diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's our message, really, is it, it's not a death sentence. It's it's an opportunity for you to do something 
about the way your lifestyle is looking right now to prevent diabetes. But there are 86 million people out there with prediabetes, and most of them don't know it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really better to know and be able to attack the problem positively. You don't want to wait five or six years and then find out, oh, darn, my borderline diabetes has turned into real diabetes. Right, right. Yeah. Just like we mentioned earlier, knowing your numbers is so important because you can do something about it then. You know, if we wait until an event happens, we have a heart attack, we have a stroke, you know, the damage, a lot of it is already done. Now, that is not saying if you've had a heart attack or a stroke that it's game over. There is still a lot of work that can be done. But the sooner we find out that there's a problem, the sooner we can start attacking that problem and and delay or prevent any of the complications that go along with it. And certainly put off taking medication for as long as you mm-hmm. can. A lot of times just lifestyle changes will be as effective, if not more effective, mm-hmm. than some of our most common diabetes medicines like metformin. You know, getting up and moving can be just as effective as taking the pill. Right. So if you hate medicine... Do the activity. That's right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about medicines and why they should play a role in some folks when we come back from the break. If you have questions about diabetes or the medicines that go along with diabetes, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. I'm Jason Klein, Director of Radio here at MPB. We asked and you delivered. One day, one drive reached our goal because of you. MPB Think Radio is your station, and you proved it by donating $125,000 in one day. You made public radio history in Mississippi. All that's left to say is thank you. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show fit at mpbonline.org. today. And before we went to the break, we kind of teased that we were going to talk about medicines a little bit when we came back. And I actually had a message on my uh, social media this morning that asked about metformin in particular. And metformin historically has been kind of the the go-to medication for uh, type 2 diabetes, but uh, I have seen it uh, kind of a decline in the prescribing of it lately. And that's actually what the question was asking is why are some healthcare providers moving away from metformin? And, you know, from my perspective, I don't, I don't know why people are moving away from it. Um, you know, I love metformin. It is an old, 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 old medication. It has been around for a long, long, long time and has a pretty 
well-established safety profile. Now, there are a couple of folks we wouldn't want to use metformin on. That's somebody who's got pretty significant kidney uh, problems. Uh, That's why we check something called a creatinine every time that you come in uh, if you're on metformin. And that's what we monitor to make sure your kidneys are healthy enough to be on that. But even with... um, a little bit of kidney dysfunction, we can still use metformin. It's only when it reaches a certain point. Um, the way metformin works, and one of the things it does, is it kind of improves um, your body's response to insulin. So one of the things that goes on with type 2 diabetes is you become insulin resistant, meaning um, someone that does not have diabetes, they eat uh, their meal, their pancreas squirts out the insulin, it takes care of the blood sugar, helps the sugar go up into the cells and drives it all around and does its job. When you don't, when your body doesn't respond to that, so your insulin squirts out and your body's like, hey, where's my insulin? It's going to squirt more insulin out and more and more and more, but your blood sugar still doesn't come down. And what that does is it just flat tires your pancreas out from trying to squirt out all this extra insulin. So the metformin actually makes your body more responsive to that insulin that you're squirting out. And so it takes the stress off of your pancreas from trying to overwork itself. And we also know that if you have a family history of diabetes, which we didn't get to pick our parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, you know, so genetically you may have a propensity for diabetes. Your liver has a tendency to go berserk in the night when you're sleeping um, and you see that the liver is normally supposed to kind of monitor what your blood sugar is doing. And if your blood sugar gets low in the night, your liver is supposed to kind of just put out a little bit of sugar to hold you off till you get to breakfast. But it doesn't put a little bit out. It kind of goes haywire and dumps a lot. Well, then I'll have patients say, well, my, my blood sugar when I went to bed last night was beautiful. It was 110. But I got up this morning, it was 150. What the, you know, what's I going did not on? get up in the middle of the night. I, and I didn't raid the refrigerator. And it's not your fault. Your liver dumped out that extra sugar during the night and metformin tells your liver to behave itself and so a lot of times um, folks complain of metformin giving them an upset stomach and probably because we might have failed on our end to give you good instructions um, metformin does need to be taken with food on your stomach if you take it on an empty stomach it is much more likely to cause you to have an upset stomach or diarrhea if you take it with a meal you're going to have a better uh, chance of not having that also Um, If you take it with that supper meal, with your bigger meal, typically at night, it's going to be helping to tell your liver not to misbehave while you're sleeping. The other part of that is that over a week or two, those symptoms subside. If you if you do have any upset stomach type symptoms, they get better. So we usually start with a very small dose. We might go to once a day first and then twice a day or we may you know just watch how your blood sugars do but metformin is an awesome drug in a lot of other ways got a lot of other benefits it helps with your lipids you know your cholesterol and triglycerides so i love metformin too um and i think in terms of most of the research that's out there it supports that it it tends we don't even know how it works to do this but it seems to be very it works on a lot of different things a lot of different there are a lot of studies out there that are showing that it improves um kind of uh, the development or the severity of cardiovascular issues in folks that have diabetes and we've already talked about the fact that just by having diabetes you're at you know a a twice increased risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. So the metformin helps with that. It's what we call cardio protection, meaning it, it's kind of standing up and fighting for your heart a little bit. Um, it can also, there are some newer studies out there that show that it may actually help with things that like cognitive issues. Like preventing um, Alzheimer's is one of the studies that's going mm-hmm. on right now. And again, all that goes back to is the blood vessel 
um, system in your body, mm-hmm. inflamed and aggravated and irritated. And uh, they think metformin may be a, a really good help in that situation. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, metformin is kind of one of those meds that, you know, I think you should at least bring it up with your healthcare provider. Um, don't wait for them to suggest it to you. Say, would I be a candidate for metformin? You know, if you're in the pre-diabetes range as well, you don't have to have full-on diabetes. And you may be able to get off of it when you lose that 15 pounds mm-hmm. that we were talking about. The other thing I stress to patients is that because diabetes is a progressive disease, there may come a point, if we do a pretty good job of you know, taking care of you and you live long enough, there comes a point because of the progressive nature that your body's not going to be able to make as much insulin as it used to. It might take many years, but if we really do keep you alive, you might need insulin one day. You didn't fail, though. Your pancreas failed. That's so right. you can do everything right and, and still may end up needing some insulin. Right. So we hope that you've enjoyed today. We have enjoyed today talking about diabetes and how we can delay the onset or prevent it altogether or just manage it once we have it. And if you have questions, you send them to fit at mpbonline.org. And I'll be back next week with a new guest and we'll be answering your health questions. Thanks for uh, listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit.